This idea of touching two worlds is about my experience going back and forth between the world of aliveness and the world of grief. Really had a profound experience of using MDMA to have a different reckoning with my own grief and with my father's death. How do we use these tools, which are biochemical, they're therapeutic, but they're also really spiritual in nature. We have to fight for the integration of our full selves in our healing work. All right, welcome to The Big Leap. We have a very special guest, Dr. Sherry Walling, and she's going to be talking about grief, grief and psychedelics, grief and the circus. And one of my biggest takeaways from this is I got to ask a very deep, touching question about dealing with the grief of the upcoming loss of my parents and how we're dealing with that as a family with my other three siblings. It was really, really, really uh, powerful and meaningful to me, okay? This was a fascinating, fascinating conversation because what you're gonna hear are some new ways to be with grief, some new surprising ways that you can deal with grief, which is something that touches everyone. So I really want you to pay attention to this, not only in your mind, but also in your heart, because I found it incredibly moving. Dr. Sherry. Ooh, this is gonna be a fabulous conversation in which we talk about how grief transforms and makes you uh, different than you expected. Not always worse, sometimes it uh, has deep, deep lessons that help make your life better. All right, well, all that and more in this episode of The Big Leap. Stick around, join us, and share this with anyone you know who's going through the experience of grief right now. Well, welcome to our Big Leap podcast. I am so excited to be here with Mike today. And we have a very special guest today who's written a very special book. And I think you're going to want to hear about it because it has, it touches on some things that, well, when I read it, I, I felt myself engaged emotionally in ways that I often don't get emotionally engaged with a book. And so rather than talking about my experience of it, though, I'd like to introduce the author of the book, Dr. Sherry Walling. Sherry, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. It's so good to be with both of you. Yeah, thanks. Well, thank you for joining us. And well, why don't, instead of me trying to summarize the book, why don't you take it from the get-go and tell us the title and what inspired you to write it and what you'd like everybody to get out of it? Yes. So this book is called Touching Two Worlds. Um, a Guide for Finding Hope in the Landscape of Loss. And it's a book that's partially memoir. It's written about my experience losing my father to esophageal cancer and my brother to suicide within six months of each other. So huge losses, big immersion into grief and into this world of people that I love who were ill, who were dying, and who you know eventually did lose their lives. And at the same time that this is happening, I'm also growing my career, raising my children sort of in the prime of the richness of my life. And so this idea of touching two worlds is about my experience going back and forth between the world of aliveness and the world of grief. And so it's memoir, but it's also based on my life as a psychologist and so offers the reader some 
some invitations, some suggestions. Maybe do this journaling prompt. Maybe do this exercise. Maybe think about this question. Um, because, of course, my desire is, is to tell my story, but also to engage with the stories of other people and to leave something that's helpful. I'm, gr I'm going through a particular type of grief processes uh, at the moment. Um, my brother, my older brother, who's 85, um, has been going more into Parkinson's and Parkinson's mm. dementia. And um, it's, he's my only sibling. And he was always the kind of the golden boy and the person that I looked up to and everybody looked up to. And I had never thought about it before, but as his mental abilities have begun to change and go in different directions, it's tugged on grief in me. So mm -hmm. I, I guess I'm saying it, it, it. I found your book of value not just about people who have died, but in grief processes that I was going through uh, with real yeah. life people too that are still living. Yeah, you know, grief is obviously the emotional reaction to loss and you're watching your brother be lost slowly, which is, I think, you know, it's its own kind of unique pain. But so many of us are grieving, not just grief according to death, but grief according to distance relationships, the end of marriages, you know, loss of jobs. There's all kinds of grief circulating in the world right now. Yeah, I think a lot of grief about just general the circumstances of the world have a big powerful impact on people too uh you were going through grief about two different people that you had obviously two different kinds of relationships with at the same time uh what was that like uh dealing with two things at once you know, I think both of those relationships were separate and both of the deaths were different. They had a different quality to them. I reacted to them differently. And then there's the combination of them, like the cumulative grief. So there's all these sort of different components of this. But my father's death, um, while, you know, he died at 65, really, really young, but um, we had some time to prepare for his death. I had the, the, really sacred privilege of being present with him when he died. So I had the experience as his daughter of kind of walking him right up to the gate. You remember when we could go into airports and like walk people all the way up to the gate and then they got in the tunnel and you could kind of wave goodbye as they got on the plane. It sort of, sort of felt like that. Um, there was a, a beauty and an intimacy for being present with him in his death. And that, didn't eliminate the grief, but it certainly changed the quality of the grief. And my brother's death, um, you know, felt so different. It was in many ways a traumatic bereavement. It was sudden. It was shocking. He died far away. He died without comfort or touch or connection. Mm -hmm. And so that loss um, really sat very differently within me and within my soul. And then, of course, the two together, it just felt like, oh, my God, I don't even have a family anymore, you know, it, to mm -hmm. sort of lose um, my dad and to walk around in the world feeling like I'm a, I'm a person without a father. And then also to lose my brother who, you know, is supposed to be my, my buddy in life, the person who knows my history and we grow old together. It, it just led to a lot of disruption, I think, a sense of lostness for me for a time. Mike, did you have things you wanted to yeah. uh, bring into the conversation? 
I sure do. Um, so I have, I'm in a different phase in life than gay in some ways, but you know, similar in others where both my parents are in memory care right now. My, my father has basically been dead in his head for a couple of years and he was my rock and, uh, my greatest mentor. And, um, my mom recently is, she also went into the, the last stage of memory care. So she's losing her marbles very, very quickly. And she still knows who I am, but she doesn't remember what she talked about, you know, a minute before. Um, and I'm going back to visit them in two weeks. And so I've, I'm the oldest of four. So I've got a sister, two brothers. And going through this as a family, we've done our best to keep things civil. We all have different opinions about what to do. And we went through these struggles where, um, you know, two of my siblings, all three of them actually wanted to like take care of mom and dad, which, mm-hmm. you know, they tried that on and they found out really quickly why there are actual um people who should be doing this we well, also there's learned professional a lot of, help totally yeah and and for them there are two of them you know they had they had they had marital issues because you know it it's a it's a full-time job plus some and um um so i'm grateful for the fact that we've been able to consciously let them go at the same time it's created an enormous amount of um shock in the family just the way everyone deals with what they deal with in ways that i i couldn't have imagined um, and so I want to bridge that to, you know, how you use psychedelics to relieve and go through the process. I'd like you to talk about that, um, for y- yourself, but then bridge to, um, and I've, I've attempted to have this conversation with my siblings, um, which I've done, um, a fair amount of psychedelic work myself. Um, with everything from 5-MeO to psilocybin to uh, MDMA and and ketamine as well, been the the main ones who they're they're amazing tools. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's had a profound effect on me. But I also know of people who've done them as families. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have a need to do this, but I just know in looking at at them, um, you know a couple members of my family could definitely use some therapy and haven't gotten it. And, mm-hmm. um, as we are aging, we're all looking at the mirrors of what's coming with our parents. Um, there's a certain amount of work we can do, but we're looking at ourselves in 20, 30 years. So, um, I'd love to be able to resolve some of the anger and the shock and the trauma, um, ahead of time and be able to, yeah. Um, you know, unite with them on a level that it seems to me only psychedelics can provide. Um, and, and maybe that's too broad, but I'd, I'd love your perspective on that. Yeah, I think uh, psychedelics are such an incredible tool for grief because it's so many different kinds of emotions at once. It's, it's anger, it's lostness, it's fear, it's sadness. It's this sort of combination that I think is pretty difficult, not impossible, but difficult to unwind in traditional talk therapy. It's Mm -hmm. it's very time consuming. It takes a long time. And I was fortunate enough to have access to really high quality 
psychedelic supported psychotherapy with MDMA. And I had been aware of and interested in how psychedelics were being used in therapy, really much more academically, much more as a scientist, as a psychologist. I knew about some of the research that was happening, but I never really thought about needing them myself or even being a practitioner who would be offering those services. But after my dad passed away, um, I, you know, had an opportunity and decided to do one of these trials and really had a profound experience of using MDMA to have a different reckoning with my own grief and with my father's death. And for me, this looked specifically like returning in the session to the moment of my dad's death, but instead of being really focused on him and on my mother's experience, on my brother's, like in my role in in real life, quote unquote, I was the functioning daughter psychologist, right? Take care of everybody, make sure everyone's comfortable, do your job. But in my session, with the assistance of the, you know, infusion of empathy that comes along with the chemical of MDMA, I saw myself as this daughter who was losing mm. her daddy. And it was mm. just so softening and tender. And it made my grief feel clear. And, and, you know, again, tender is sort of the word. Instead of fraught, it was tender. And so my brother and I both experienced our dad's death. We were both present. For me, it became this very important memory. For him, it was torturous. It was something that he couldn't find his way through. Mm. And the loss of him is really what catalyzed me to really become much more interested in the role that psychedelics can play in healing, especially in these incredibly emotionally complex experiences that are, as I said, very sort of difficult to unwind in traditional talk therapy. So this idea, Mike, that you're bringing up of like, how do we use these tools, which are mm -hmm. biochemical, they're therapeutic, but they're also really spiritual in nature. And they help us tackle some of those, you know, what does it all mean? End of life, the nature of time, like these big, huge, complex topics in a way that's safe and accessible. And I can only imagine the magic that would happen if you and your siblings were able to, to hold mm. that space together. Mm -hmm. mm, thank you. I had a remarkable grief experience once. Um, taking MDMA personally back in the 80s, um, there was a period of time before they made it illegal where a lot of us used it uh, for ourselves mm -hmm. and in our clients. And then there was a period of time when they were juggling it with it um, legally where it kind of went into the background. But uh, in my own personal experience, um, I, my father died when my mother was pregnant with me. So I never mm -hmm. experienced kind of in real waking, breathing life, mm. the loss of my father. But when I took the MDA, I realized that it was all there prenatally because I, that there was a level of me that went through that in an extreme way with my mother. And later on, it became an issue because uh, it turned out that um, a big shocking emotional event during uh, that period of time uh, or around birth can prevent the mother from producing some uh, hormones and chemicals that are important in 
things like bonding and mm-hmm. things like uh, being able to digest milk and a whole bunch of things like that. Um, and apparently my mother didn't put out those hormones. And so mm-hmm. I ended up um, uh, getting very obese as a baby, partly because mm-hmm. all of that mechanism had been turned off during you know, trying to survive, I guess. And so anyway, just to um, make a, a very long story short, uh, I, I think that one of the implications of a lot of the things you write about have to do with being able to heal things on a different level than talk or often even body therapy can get to. And I yeah. wonder if you would speak about that. Yeah, I think it's been really sort of sad, I guess, is the word that comes to mind to to step back and watch my field, the field of psychology, and the way that we relate to medicine and the way that we relate to spirituality, and that we've segmented ourselves off into these little bits. So you go to your physician when you're struggling with your weight, or you go to your psychologist when you're feeling sad, and you go to your clergy when, you know, you have something to be forgiven for, but there's there that's just not a real representation of how we work as humans. Like we're we're all connected, all those pieces of us, and so when we are thinking about healing and pursuing healing that gets at the cellular level, that gets at the chemistry, the biology of our bodies, but then also gets at our this beautiful metacognitive. Pol- practice that we have, right? The ability to think about thinking and to understand and interpret our reality and then to make meaning and and be spiritual beings. I think we have to we have to fight for the integration of our full selves in our healing work. And what you're talking about with your own experience and your in your little baby body and how the implications of your mom's trauma and the loss of your father got stuck in your cells. And what that meant for you as a developing being, you know, that happens to all of us in the intergenerational transmission of trauma or in the ways that our bodies carry the stories of things that happened to us pre-verbally or things that we maybe don't remember. So I think this um, return to an interest in how we heal the full self and how we are full selves in our care is extraordinarily important um, moving forward as a species. I very much agree. In your own experience of all of this, did your body have a reaction to the grief? And how did you deal with that? Yeah, um, this is one of the the stranger essays in my book. (laughs) But when 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 I heard the news that my brother died, I fell on the ground, um, which is you know, common among people who experience a shock or something overwhelming. And I had two simultaneous overpowering sensations in my body at one time. One was to destroy something, to throw something, to kind of claw at something, to like, you know, if I could swear, to just like fuck something up, to just mm-hmm. rage. Destroy- rage against what I'd learned about the new reality of my life. And then the other instinct was a desire to like, to fuck in a different way, right? To like, 
have a, 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 a union experience, a sexual experience, something that made me feel really alive because I had just encountered this sort of demon of death. So mm. my body had this really big reaction. And if you know, we think back to classic Freud, it was these two drives of thanatos and libido, the destructive instinct mm -hmm. and the reproductive instinct, the creation instinct. And I feel like that was a really important imprint in my body in that moment, that shock of trauma. And the balance of those two drives, I think my body has sort of struggled to integrate since that moment. So for mm -hmm. me, movement, big movement, big expressive movement has been an, a core part of this journey for me because I I know really clearly that my body's holding these big energies as a result of this traumatic loss. Mm. And, and to extend that question uh, from the body out into relationships, what kinds of things did you notice uh, the impact of all of this on your relationships? Yeah, that's a tricky one, to be honest, because I, I was, you know, raising young children at the time. My, when these deaths happened, my kids were 8, 8, and 12. And so um, that's not, those aren't ages for there to be a lot of disruption among mom. You know, this is a, a phase of life where, where children need consistency and predictability and, and can't have mom, you know, flying off the handle in the backyard. And so I think it was really um, challenging to find my way as a parent in the midst of grief, to be both authentic enough with my kids that they understood they had a narrative for what was happening. I didn't try to hide it, but also to be then careful of not overburdening them or sort of being, um, being too far from the caretaking, st stable parent that they needed. And I think similarly, you know, in my relationship with my husband, we, we've been married for 22 years. We have a long history together. But this experience of me kind of going into this land of grief, this darkness, um, felt pretty threatening to the relationship that we had had up until that point. So in a way, all of these things had to be reworked, myself as a mother, myself as a partner, who I'd been before wasn't quite right anymore. And I had mm -hmm. to re readjust, regrow myself in light of this new experience of being in grief. Mm. I often tell my clients who are going through grief that it comes in waves. That's one thing I noticed in the year after my mother's death. Um, I didn't get to be there at my mother's death because of not being able to get the airplane to get yeah. me there on time. So I was in transit when she died. And uh, so I very much missed that connection because I wanted to be there so much. Um, but I noticed um, over the next year, um, I had all sorts of reactions, but they would often kind of almost come out of nowhere you know, like a wave, like a rogue wave or something. And I wondered if you noticed that phenomenon too. Oh, yeah. I think that's that's really common. You know, sometimes we call them triggers, but that sense of which 
you think you've found your footing and then something happens inside of you that destabilizes you. You know, that happened recently for me. I just was walking through the airport and, and heard a little kid's voice calling out grandpa. And it just like hit me right in the gut. I just thought, oh my God, my dad, my kids don't have a grandpa. Like it just was a little thing that happened in the course of my life. And it, it almost like sort of doubled me over. Um, and I think those things happen with sometimes there's some predictability, right? I think there's some reality to um, those anniversary dates, you know, the birthdays, the death days, the the rhythms of grief that become a little bit predictable the longer we live with them. And I think it's important to sort of honor and create space for the grief when it comes up in those rhythms. But I absolutely agree with that sense of sometimes it just hits you like a rogue wave and you're like, what just happened to me? Like I was fine. I was fine. And now I'm not fine anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious just to extend on, on that. I didn't expect to ask this question, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and it, it has to do with this physical trauma release. And um, I'm going to just ask the question by telling a story because um, a few years ago, I was going through a major uh, shift in in life, and when I listened to you tell your story about how you had to redefine even your marriage and and, and your role, um, I went and saw a trauma release, very esoteric chiropractor, and mm-hmm. um, you know he does the normal back cracking, and then he's got his special room that you go into, and he was just like very lightly touching, and suddenly. I heard an animal scream and my body started flopping around and it, and my body just started crying, releasing a lot of stuff. And I'd never had anything quite like that happen before. Um, and it, it too many questions. One of them is, did you do any physical trauma release or do any esoteric work? And then secondly, what's your opinion of grief and, um, and you know, having having a significant physical release, um, you have any opinions or thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Grief is embodied, and if we don't have some ways of release, it gets stuck. I mean, I believe that down to my toes. I think that release can look very different. I think psychedelics can be a release. I mean, I had a mm-hmm. psychedelic session after my brother died where I was running from a fire and I was 100% sure that I just had to run for my life. And it was terrifying. And I huddled under the blanket, sort of like this wild, scared animal. And it, was, mm-hmm. it, was hor- it wasn't like a fun psychedelic experience. <laughs> Anybody who thinks that like psychedelics are fun, you know. When they're done in therapy, your body is working these things Mm -hmm, out. mm -hmm. And so for me, I think that was a big release. Um, The other thing that may be a little bit surprising, but um, I started a very serious practice in the circus arts. I was going to ask that next, but I I wanted to bridge (laughs) to it. (laughs) Which, Which is... You know, not necessarily under the guise of a professional healer, but Mm -hmm. I will say that for me, standing on the platform of the flying trapeze and putting my hands on that bar and having the moment of like, I have to just jump. 
it, it, there's some spiritual work there. <laughs> there's mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. like deeper reckoning that's going on with my relationship to risk, with my body, with all of those things. And so um, for me, having that very significant practice that is very embodied, but also very creative and artistic felt like a lot of the kinds of release that you're talking about, maybe in smaller doses over time. But I think that kind of physical practice then alongside having a really wonderful body worker or, you know, having somebody who can help guide you in psychedelic experiences mm-hmm. helps to unleash the, the places where the trauma gets stored in the body. Mm. I can make a relationship between psychedelics and circus. Uh, it seems to be a natural outgrowth. <laughs> Send in the clowns. Send in the clowns. No, no. <laughs> Yeah. um, Well, if you could, uh, Sherry, encapsulate the whole circus experience for us so you could give our listeners and viewers a a picture. Some of them may not Mm -hmm. step out there on that platform. So tell us what that's about. I'll put the video link in the show notes. I'll make sure we get those. But uh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I I have an image of standing on the ground and looking up this piece of fabric that's attached 30 feet in the air above me to the ceiling. And what it felt like to stand there and look up and think, I'm, I am never going to get up there. There's no way. It felt very similar to what it, the moment of realizing like, I, I am going to have to live in a world without my father and without my brother. And that message of like, I'm never going to get up there. Like, I'm never going to rise from this. And so learning to circus is learning step by step, motion by motion, how to move your body in ways that you didn't think were possible and how to use both your strength, but also your strategy. Like you, you have to be really clear and concise with your movements. Um, And it's been a powerful teacher for me in that the analogy of how to do hard things thoughtfully, sometimes with brute strength, but mostly with strategic laziness, like, you know, trying not to make it harder than it has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and in being able to be really brave and in being able to trust myself mm-hmm. that I am capable, I am a fully grown adult lady and I can be in the world without my dad. And I am mm-hmm. a, a well trained physical athlete and I can take the leap off of the trapeze and trust my body to do what it does. So lots and lots of lessons um, in, in a really, really beautiful art form. Well, you seem like an absolutely fabulous human being, Sherry, and it's a fantastic book, incredibly articulate about some things that are hard to be articulate mm-hmm. about. And so I'm really grateful that you gave us the opportunity to look deeply into that. Anything else you'd like to say before we kind of fold our tents here for this particular version of things? Yeah, I'm so grateful for the conversation and for your work in inviting people into these deeper conversations, not in a way that's without hope where we just focus on the painful, hard, gritty things, but in the way that encourages courage. And it's, it's a wonderful conversation. And I hope that we can begin to interact with grief in that way as something that is both hard and heavy, but also a source of great learning and can be a source of transformation when we give ourselves to it, when we engage it. 
So I'm, I'm grateful for being with you. Thank you for the conversation. Well, thank you so much for your mind and your heart and the gift of your book. And we'll make sure a whole lot of people get it into their hands and hearts too. Yeah. Well done. Thanks. Um, I've had, a, I've had these questions and I wasn't sure who I could ask. Um, and, uh, it was good to get your point of view today and, and just hear about your journey and how you've, um, worked through it and what a great opportunity that we had the chance to connect. Um, and the fact that you and Vivian have a history together was, uh, was great. So thanks for your time. This has been awesome. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. Come sit in our living room in California sometime. <laughs> my pleasure. I'm on my way. Be right there. <laughs>